Welcome to episode 59 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing from one of my favorite people on the planet Earth, the one, the only, Daryl Wilson. That's right, Daryl, or Doc as I refer to him, is very much a one-of-a-kind human being. He's a lead singer and lead acrobat of the band, The Bull Weevils. He's a doctor. He's the punk rock doc. He's a family man. Daryl is completely a pillar of his community, the community. Daryl is exactly who so many people would aspire to be. He's an incredible man. But if Daryl parked in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time, if he was walking down the street and some asshole took exception to it, his life could very easily come to an abrupt and violent end for no reason whatsoever. Daryl Wilson is a black man living in America, and as we've seen, that can be a death sentence for just simply existing, right? I mean, I, I hope I'm not out of line by saying that, but it's true. It seems to be true to me. I hate to start off on what sounded like a very positive note and ended it on this very much down note, but fuck. I mean, come on. I'm not wrong. Am I? I don't think I am. I really don't. I mean, Jesus Christ, look at what's going on around in this fucking country. This is where we are as a country, and this is how this country has been throughout its entire existence. It's fucked up beyond belief. How do we fix it? How does it get fixed? That's that's what we need to work on more than anything else. To me, this is a very important episode. It really is. Yeah, I mean, Daryl and I just simply shoot the shit about certain things talk about some fun stuff there's some pretty heavy and serious stuff in here too for sure but i think you can learn a few things if you listen to this episode all the way through let me talk about something real quick i kind of want to illustrate a point from something that happened to me and how different this situation could have been had i been a different person about a week ago my wife my son and i were at a local park skateboarding there's a skate park there but the skate park section was kind of crowded, and the kids that were skating, there were four kids skating in the skate park section, they're really good skaters. So they're, it's a small park, and they're fucking zipping all through this whole park, back and forth the whole time. So there wasn't really that much room for myself, my wife, and my son to go kind of putz around in this park. I didn't want to get in their way. My son's just learning. I'm an old man, and I'm slow as shit. So I didn't want to get in their way, more or less. Right next to this little skate park in this larger park area is a basketball court. No one was using it. So we went to the basketball court and kind of rolled around, kind of showing my son, like, here's how you push, here's how you turn, that kind of thing. And then after we were kind of rolling around in this basketball court section, we went over to another, like, non-basketball court, large, flat, concrete area right next to the court. My son left his skateboard on the basketball court. Oh, and by the way, this is important. That basketball court had been painted fairly recently with all the lines for the courts and stuff like that. Meanwhile, while this is going on, while we're like kind of rolling around the basketball court and then moved over to this flat concrete area and my son left his board on the basketball court, there's this lady standing there on the path near us with her dog on her phone looking at us, okay? And she was there for a while, for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, eh, maybe less than that. She got off of her phone and said to me, um, excuse me, excuse me, but can you take that skateboard off of the basketball court, please? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll grab it. And then she said to me, well, we just paid a million dollars 
to have that basketball court painted and skateboards will ruin the paint. So I'd appreciate it. Or actually, she didn't even say I'd appreciate it. She said we'd appreciate it. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, the community at large would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. We'd appreciate it if you would not skateboard on that basketball court. And I said, okay, yeah, I got you. No problem. I heard you. You know, not an issue. I'll grab it. Yep. Sorry about that. She kept going on about how it cost a million fucking dollars to paint this basketball court, which was bullshit. It doesn't cost, it's a regular basketball court. If they paid a million dollars to get this goddamn basketball court painted, they got fucking robbed. I would have done that shit for a hundred grand. I would have with you know, the tiniest paintbrush. I would have done it for like a year. Fuck it. hundred grand. Yeah, yeah. I would have done that for sure. So she kept going on and on about how it cost a million fucking dollars to paint this basketball cart. Jeez. And I'm going, yeah, yes, yes. I heard you. Okay. I didn't say anything. You know, I just grabbed his board and we went over to this other car and she kept talking and she kept just, you know, blah, blah, blah kind of thing. And I was like, oh fuck, I'm totally getting fucking Karen right now. I am getting just Karen to shit right now by this crazy person. You know, we're all kind of off to the side and she's still talking to me like, you know, kind of in a shitty way, she said, you know, you're not supposed to skateboard on the basketball court. You know, and I go, hey, you know what? Yes, I heard you. I moved the board. Everything's cool. I heard what you said. And I was kind of starting to get pissed. Like, you know what? Please stop. I got your point. Everything's cool now. We didn't damage the basketball court. No issues. No issues whatsoever. So as she's walking away, She's still mumbling to herself and this and that. And I was like, ah, fucking Jesus. Okay. And I realized then, oh, when she was standing there staring at us, she was probably on the phone to the cops saying, you know, um, there's some people down here at our park and they're vandalizing the basketball court. And can you send a car over, please? Or, or something. Or they're skateboarding where they're not supposed to be on our million dollar basketball court. Can you please send someone down to take care of this? I, I'm almost positive she had to be. Who, or who else was she calling? I do want to state for the record, too. We probably should not have been on the basketball court because it did look like it had been painted since the last time we were there, maybe. Or I don't know. Eh, but whatever. We didn't fuck it up at all. Now, in this situation, what really got me afterwards, I was pissed a little. I was like, man, what a shithead. You know, like, totally harsh. My mellow kind of ruined my day. I started thinking, and this has been on my mind a lot lately. What if I were, what if I were African American? What if I were black? What would have happened then? What if she had called the cops and said, Hey, there's, there's this black guy on the basketball court and he's vandalizing it. You know, what would have happened then? Would the cops have come say it was like an African American man or a black man on the court, just skateboarding, rolling around, having a good time, having a good day with his family. What the fuck would have happened then? What if it was Daryl that was doing that? That was what came into my mind because I knew I was going to be talking to Daryl in a couple of days. And so he was kind of on my mind. He's kind of always on my mind. He's a rad dude. So that was kind of my thought. And Daryl is a bigger guy. He's like six foot four, 200 and something pounds on the lower end of 200 pounds. He's a big dude. The cops would see him if he was just kind of cruising around on his skateboard. How would they have reacted to him? And I thought to myself, that could have ended very fucking badly if the color of my skin was different or if I was a different person. And how fucking beyond fucked up is that? How fucked up is that 
that somebody potentially just having a good day with their families, their life could have been ended by A, overzealous police, and B, the actions of a shithead who couldn't just walk away and ignore something that wasn't hurting anybody or anything. There's a lot of factors in there, right, that make you kind of go, huh, you know, I don't know. But I know it. that, just that thought fucking pisses me off so fucking much. I can't even tell you how fucking angry that makes me, that the power of life and death is in the hands of such shitty fucking people that have no right to have this power of life and death over somebody for no reason. How fuck, man. That's a thing. That was a moment for me that was like, this shit has to fucking change. It has to. It has to. Otherwise, it's lost. It, everything is lost. There's nothing good or redeeming about the United States of America in any way, shape, or form if shit like this continues to happen. So we have to fucking change it. That's all there is to it. I feel like all right, it's good. I think my anger's good. I can channel that in ways that can be helpful and not destructive, okay? So there we are. Think about my little story. Think about it hard. Think about it if it were you in my position and look at it like, what if it were like a black friend of yours or something like that that was in that same position? And really think about it. It's important to come to terms that shit like this does happen to where somebody can be killed for no fucking reason, okay? All right, well, let's move on. Oh, boy. Had to get that out. God damn it. You know, shit's fucked up, man. But I think there's progress being made, so that's good. Channel the anger, like the way I'm thinking. Channel that anger into a positive energy. Po I sounded like a hippie, didn't I? Into a positive direction. <laughs> and shit can definitely get better. So let's move on to our table of contents for this episode. The song at the very beginning that song was called Rodney by the Bull Weevils. And that is Daryl singing, by the way. Like I mentioned, Daryl's in the Bull Weevils. Bull Weevils are tight. I love the Bull Weevils. Got three more songs after that coming. Uh, after my little intro here, we're going to hear some words from the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Oppression. And then the song Pressure Cooker, also by the Bull Weevils. Oh, I should mention, yes, this is the Daryl Wilson episode. So every song in this episode is a Bull Weevils song. And also I should mention... Daryl and the Bull Weevils are from Chicago, hence the PSAs in this episode are all kind of Chicago-related. There you go. After the song Pressure Cooker is part one of the talk I had with Daryl. After that, we'll take a little break, and we'll hear a few words about Black Lives Matter Chicago and the song Talk. Then on to part two of the Daryl talk. I'll come back, say a few words at the very end of that, and the last song of the episode will be Wrong From Right. You ready? Let's go. I'm ready. Since 1973, when it was born from the movement to free Angela Davis and all political prisoners, the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression has defended the rights of oppressed people in Illinois and around the world. We defend the civil liberties of workers, activists, and prisoners. We struggle against white supremacy, the prison industrial complex, and state violence. We demand community control of the police and full representation for black people and other poor and oppressed people at all levels of government. Want to learn more about the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression? 
simply go to www.carpr.org and check it out. You can also donate to the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression on that same website by clicking on the fundraising tab at the top right side of the screen. Check it out and donate today. Welcome to Daryl Wilson, Daryl Doc Wilson of the Bull Weevils to the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. Welcome, Mr. Daryl. How are you doing tonight? Good, man. I'm good. I'm very good today. Good to have you. Good to have you with me. Now, let me, let me, I'm going to ask you a few questions. The first one, we're going to go way back to when you were a kid, really. Uh, where, where did you grow up? What part of the world did you grow up in? So I'm a Midwestern kid. Um, I was born in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, capital of the great state of Michigan, you know, lived there until middle school. Um, we moved to just outside of Detroit, Southfield, when I was a kid. And as my parents had, you know, gotten divorced, and, you know, we were moving and going to a new spot, moved to Southfield and lived there until my senior year. Um, my, my parents, my, my mom, and my stepdad, they then moved to Illinois and came out here to the western suburbs outside of Detroit, uh, Lyle specifically, and Lyle Naperville, Naperville basically. And um, we moved here. Well, my parents moved here and I stayed in Michigan for to finish out my junior year at Southfield High. Oh, in high school, and, gotcha. Yeah, high school. And, you know, I was pretty bummed about being moved in my senior year. If you could, you know, expect an angry young man who was, you know, into punk rock and, and skateboarding. Um, I was already pretty angry because my parents were divorced and that made me an angry youth. And my mom was remarried. That made me angry. You know, I was a, you know, a young man. So I was 
know, <laughs> period, black, right? Yes, a lot of anger, you know, and that's a big blow to move, you know, when you've established this whole life, you know, your formative years, you think in uh, Michigan, like you moving me right now, but what my mom was like, she thought I was gonna just explode, and so we moved here to Illinois and uh, started high school here. Came in as a senior, and I and I kind of established, you know, I was going to come in and be who I was. So I would wear my brigade T-shirt, walking around the halls, so that people recognized what my allegiances were. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, I was a, a smart kid, so I was, you know, in the AP science classes and all this stuff. So, you know, I had all that stuff going on. I used to swim. I was a swimmer too, which is, you know, like my, my sport that I was involved in. Oh. But I came. Illinois, and I was like, I'm not swimming for this school. You guys weren't my, you know, high school. I was swimming forever. I varsity lettered swam at, you know, in Southfield, and I'm not going to swim for some place I just came here. And I remember being recruited to swim too, and I was like, I'm not going to do it. So, um, rebellion, kind I, of a little rebellion there, and in some ways, I will dare, I dare not get into your pool. How dare you? <laughs> the indignation. Of the pool. Uh, so, you know, I, I was hanging out and skating here, you know, but I was never really a good skater. We talked, I kind of emailed you about that. I was really never a good skater, but sure. I, I would dabble in skateboarding. Um, I was some of those skaters and, you know, I'd already been listening to punk rock prior to that because when I was in Michigan, uh, I was skating with some guys back in the day, it came me the tape and I'd tell everybody the same story. Those three bands that got me into punk, you know, listening to this, you know, mixtape that I got handed to me. Where the germs, the adolescents, and the angry Samoans. So, oh, wow. um, so that was like my indoctrination into punk rock. You know, I just kept going from there. I was like, you know, the Circle Jerks, you know, the Descendants, Black Flag, Blast, you know, Agent Orange, just keep going, keep going. And this is so, kind of like mid '80s, kind of mid to late '80s, because I think you're yeah, you're right about the same age as me. So, yeah, mid '80s. So, you know, I was uh, what uh, probably. 83 and up so yeah like 83 was kind of my like years i was like 13 so getting back then <laughs> going on yeah, yeah. so yeah it's like that's my my you know youth and, and then came to you know illinois the chicagoland area and this is where i kind of really kind of flourished i think and settled into where i was going to be you know i i, I look back on my Michigan friends and finally look back on them. And it's like, yeah, it was cool, cool times growing up. And I still have friends that are there. But my, my kind of formative years becoming this guy who I am happened here in Illinois. I think through all the, the moves and figuring out, you just got to kind of tough it out. And nothing, I guess it's almost being stoic about it. You know, you have to go, you got to love where you are. I'm reflecting, you know, you got to love your face. And you've learned that over time that that's what you really had to do just accept shit and just kind of yeah. go on this is the way it is can, there's nothing i'm going to be able to do to change it at that that age and at that time and everything yeah but when you're young you don't think of anything except for yourself because we're, we're self-centered selfish beings sure but, um, you kind of just don't realize that you have to do you have to kind of suck it up and accept it but you can wallow in that and, and it could become an anchor that holds you to this one spot in time and you never move forward. And that kind of just stunts your growth. Like you talked about, you know, stunting your growth leads to your death, it leads to your eradication. So you just can't do that. 
you know, I, I fell in love with living here and, you know, I became a, I'm still Midwest, so I still have Midwestern values, I guess, in some sense. But, uh, you know, that Illinois person and, uh, you know, even changed my allegiances from liking the Pistons to the Bulls. So there you oh, go. wow. Yeah, you did switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, that was, that was my formative years of growing up and, and coming here and then, you know, getting into the punk rock scene here in Illinois, specifically Chicago was the whole thing that kind of got me headed towards, being in the band, being in the Bull Weevils. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you were part of the original lineup of the Bull Weevils. You're, yeah. You guys are all real tight, right? And it's yeah. more or less the same lineup from day one kind of thing? No, not real. Not now, no. I mean, the beginning of it all, it's like we, it was all of us. The whole funny thing is all of us in the band have been friends for a long time because of the scene of Chicago punk rock. So that's the thing that's kind of the the constant through all of it is that we've all been friends through punk rock in Chicago. Ken and I are the longest standing members of the band now when it comes to original members. Like they played a show, one show without me was, it was, you know, Ken, Bob, the original bass player, Bob. Also, uh, we had a guy, Joe, who was originally drumming for us, but then it was Brian. But the original lineup was Bob, Ken, and this guy, Joe. And they played one show before I joined the band at a club called Club Spadola. And then I was in the band after that. So I was the, the singer after that. So I, also, yeah, they, played, the they, they were together kind of and played before you were actually, you came into the picture yeah, of the band. Just one show, though. So it wasn't, you know, sure. like established as a band. Band it was like, oh, they played one show. Uh, yeah, right. That's like, our, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so they weren't, a, yeah, they're not like established or anything like that at all. No. That first show was, you know, us playing, you know, the Metro opening for Nathan Radio, which is crazy. That was my first show. Wow. So, wow. That's an incredible first show. <laughs> like, that's yeah, great. But like I say, I said this in other interviews, like, you get a taste of, like, you know, what, what, what the big time tastes like, and then you get thrust back into the basement. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> right, right, right. What's, okay, what's our next move going to be? Well, we're playing in my grandma's basement, you know, <laughs> across town next week. So. Okay. So how do you get back to that stage again? That was a big thing. How do you get back on that stage to play the Metro? That was the big thing. And so we did. You know, we, we worked hard to get to that point. So yeah, um, it's always one of those things when you if you taste what it's like to be on what you perceive as the top, the pinnacle. You definitely want to get back there again because it tastes sweet, man. Yeah, it <laughs> does. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right about that. As far as skateboarding goes, did another friend kind of start and was like, you saw him and you're kind of like, hey, that looks cool. Or was it something you kind of came up with on your own where you just you saw it skateboarding in some way and said, that's something I think I really want to do? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was since I was angry and, you know, just something to release that frustration you know it, it was a a me a, 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 there was an ability to garner a different skill it was still something rebellious you know yeah. it wasn't like mainstream of things that you had like you know, i'm not gonna yeah. go play for the baseball team or the football team or no. whatever like yeah the skateboarding's an individual outlet in so many ways yeah yeah i played baseball and i swam you know i did i played sports but then it's like, you know, I was kind of pissed off and just wanted to do other things. And, you know, I, I 
kind of listen to, you know, uh, listen to metal a little bit, you know, Iron Maiden and ACDC. And then I would listen to, you know, a little bit of the alternative rock and roll back then. Kind of the know? 80s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. A little, little like, uh, sure. like Devo Things and like- The Cure and kind of stuff like that. I thought that, hey, you know, I wanted to do something that would be a, a release of pent-up rage. And you could, you know, do all kinds of things to try and get skills that, you know, you can do a big ollie and you'd be feel really good if you landed this, you know, 50-50 grind and you could, you know, get your trucks to spark a little bit and you think that was cool. Or, you know, you you know, do an ollie to tail and you slap your tail down really hard and you're coming off there. Or, you know, you have know, bombs and stairs and then if you made it, you felt exhilarated. But if you didn't and you fell, you felt, okay, I'm punishing myself in some sense. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I remember going to, you know, skate in high school. I remember I was dating some girl or whatever. I mean, it's over out of high school and college. And we broke up and it was, I was all dejected. So I went to go skate by myself. So I was skating these stairs and just, you know, it's dumb because then I, you know, I wasn't with any of my friends and I, slammed really hard and just my ankle just popped and I was like oh so I had to limp back to my car using my board as a crutch and had to drive my car back and my car was of course manual transmission so I'm like watch very well but it's jacked so you know I get home and you know my mom is like What's the matter with you? I'm like, well, my ankle's jacked. I was just, well, that's your own fault. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm like, well, you're right. Like, <laughs> you know? So it was just, you know, just badness. And then I go to see my doctor. I get, you know, just bad sprains, some all crutches, crutching around. Thank God it's not broken. Then I met some other girl at that point when I was on crutches at college. And she was like, oh, we hung out and we started dating. It was kind of cool. So like, it kind of worked out, I guess. In the end. But um, going back to skating from the original, you know, question, um, I got introduced to it through some people at, you know, in middle school who were kind of, who were skating a bit and I thought it was kind of cool. So I got a board and the funny thing is I put that in quotes because it was like, we tried to make a board out of like these planks of wood. It was so ridiculous. Oh, wow. And wow. You went back to like the, the OG days pretty much of skateboarding with your first board. Heavy, thick, like wood boards that weren't anything that you know you kind of looked at a board just said we can make it you kind of made it it was like that it had no concave no concave right <laughs> no hell concave back in the day no hell concave <laughs> and it was like wow so then i was like maybe we should get a real board so you know go to the store and i might get myself a rob roscoff in fact i think i ordered it from uh thrasher magazine i think i ordered a rob roscoff so came to me from thrasher and got some going trucks and you know like uh was it Santa Cruz Speed Wheels or something like that back yeah. in the day? So, so I started skating, and it was a great way to one hang out with people that felt like we were all basically angry misfits, and two a way to release pent up energy, and three I guess it was a way to you know also get introduced to new music, which is a cool thing too. So that sure, was cool sure. About especially through like thrasher i had thrasher was great oh, yeah. back in those days yeah. because they focused on punk so much you know and you try and learn a new trick and the tricks you see it 
step by step it's being done. Neil Blender puts a new trick out. You're like, I gotta go on this. Oh, that's right. You the step by step. Yeah, that's right. I kind of forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's all <laughs> that was a great magazine. You know, it was just one of those things. But the one pinnacle thing I think in in life too. I mean, we ended up in Thrasher magazine at this one point where it was uh, we were on tour with the Whitecaps and we played at Gilman. And we, I think, uh, Brian from JFA was at the show and he was taking pictures. Uh, and so there's a picture of me in Thrasher magazine talking about kind of our little tour thing. It's kind of cool. And I remember seeing that and I was like, this is a big time. When you're <laughs> you made it. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't make it in front but I mean, I did make it in, which is cool. So right. Still- <laughs> hey, you got in. That was, it was one way or the other. It was like, you're either going to make it through skateboarding or through music. And if you could get there, then yeah, you did good. That's good. <laughs> I, I would never made it through for skateboarding. I know, that's, right? Me I, neither. I, yeah. <laughs> had a good time. It was never that good. So, yeah. But, but as, as the guys would say, the band, my favorite, my best move was the, Jump fuck up is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's now. Did you keep? Did you keep injury reports or do injury reports like you do after you a bull weevil show nowadays? Back then, did you? No, I. I you know what? I wasn't that witty back then. You learn that those wittitudes happen later on in life as you become more mature and realize I couldn't actually make this pretty funny. <laughs> there so you go. And you had that focus of you know of being a doctor too of self analysis <laughs> right. like. This is what I did to myself tonight. Right. You're like you know, initially you're like, oh man, I tweaked my ankle. Like, oh no, that's like a second degree sprain, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, once yeah, once you learn a little bit of the anatomy, and then you start to figure out how things actually work, you go, ooh, this is technically really bad. And oh, you know, me doing this becomes really dangerous. I, it, a part of the whole thing of getting really good at skating, it has to be the whole reckless abandon thing to realize, right? That yeah. You, yeah. Killed. Oh, but then when you don't have that thought in your head, like I'm just going to do this trick, I'm going to, you know, jump down these twelve stairs and just. There's a daredevil, da- a level of like daredevilism or something in it that that's how you get better, though, you know. So. Right. So that's. I mean, I guess I never had that full daredevilly, you know, thought process in my head, realizing that oh shit, I'd like to walk away from this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Right. So I would never. Get that good because it wasn't like reckless abandon but then again i mean look at me i do stupid reckless abandon shit at shows so what happened i don't know what <laughs> maybe you've got much yeah. <laughs> and now you have a lot more also to keep yourself whole for you know with the family and all that stuff right one thing i wanted to ask you about as far as skateboarding community and the punk rock community do you ever feel like you've been treated differently, better or worse, because of the color of your skin in either either arenas, would you say? Or either in arenas. I mean, I should say, you know, it, in skateboarding, because you're a black man, were you treated differently? Same question as far as punk rock goes. And that, that might be kind of a broad question. I, I, I guess I, I would say that there's, yeah, there there are points where I could point out there's definitely a different treatment, either positive or negative. To be quite honest, in, in some senses, people could sometimes treat you even more positively because it's like, oh wow, they like you're this 
you know, unicorn that's behind some place. It's and, a, you know, it's an like, underrepresentation issue because I think my kind of my point, I have a hard time sometimes getting it out, but skateboarding in the 80s, I noticed the only pro skater that it was Steve Stedham that was a black pro skater, right? And that I can remember off the top of my head. And that changed as we moved into the 90s. A lot of guys, you know, you had Ray Barbie, Alfonso Rawls, Ron Allen. There are a lot of the guys that were getting involved in the sport that were just insanely good. And it was like, rad, it's becoming more inclusive in some ways. Right. And the thing, it's like, you know, you, you kind of walk into the room and you kind of realize that you're navigating a space that wasn't necessarily a space that you typically would be seen navigating. And so, you know, you yeah, you, you could find that there could be some displeasure with you being there or sometimes um, curiosity associated with it. And, you know, or expectations were never really high in the first place, you know, because you weren't represented that much in the sport at the time. Sure. So you just have to establish who you are and just not let other people's comfort, their other people's inherent bias or lack of knowledge inhibit you from moving forward. And I had a great group of friends. That's the thing. So that, you know, you skate with your buddies and now think about that. You might go to other spots and skate and you might get a little look, but nobody ever said anything disparaging, you know. Oh, that's good. Face. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. I mean, but you could get that anywhere, though. I mean, you could get disparaging looks and things said to you outside of the realm of skating. You know, that's just what sure. happens sometimes. Just from me being a teenager who was already being kind of a little bit of a, you know, standout by my punk rock t-shirts that may not be so, you know, family friendly. Or and, pro- appropriate in certain situations or whatever. Yeah. Sure, right? <laughs> like, just loud, and that would just draw attention, but then it draws more attention because you stand out because you're just black guy that's there too so then that might get somebody to yell out the n-word or some other stuff or call you some you know something really unnecessary that they thought was hurting your feelings mm-hmm. um I, I, we were skating once at a uh this church we were doing these rails and i remember some guys who were yelling out you know the same old tropes of you know calling us homosexuals or yeah. you know screaming out they were a bunch of you know, pussies and all this other stuff that they would say about us. And they kept driving around saying this stuff and they pulled up closer and I remember just taking my board and just, it was a, um, what was it? Was it a, uh, I can't remember what board I had. Was it a wreath? No, it was, it was um, I can't remember the board, but I, uh, so it doesn't matter because what I did with the boards, I grabbed it and I went up to their back window and just smashed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Doc, wow. I mean, good for you in some ways. Like, that'll teach them. So they came over, I smashed the window, and they took off. And I said to the guys at the state with them, like, we have to leave now. <laughs> so we left uh, the yeah. spot, and we took off. We took off. They were chasing us around town for a while, but we lost them. And I remember going home thinking, oh, my God, they're going to call the police. We're going to get in trouble. We're going to get in so much trouble for doing it. Oh, my God, we're going to get busted. So I just waited, and I got home, and I just was, like, thinking, that's what the cops show up. The cops are going to show up at my house. They're going to come out of the house. <laughs> they're going to throw that window. 
to this day, I get, well, I guess now I'm, I'm just confessing to the crime right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I broke their window. I don't know who they were, but it was a bunch of knuckleheads. Like, there was a mom's minivan or something I think I broke. It was a Aerostar, I think. They were trying oh, to wow, wow. <laughs> smash that back. I almost smashed that window. It was like, you know, they kept talking shit. I said, hey, you're going to talk some shit from over here. They came over and I said, fuck your window. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> like, oh, wow. <laughs> Oh man, just stupid stuff. I, I I I haven't told my children these stories yet. I tell them a few stories and they they kind of chuckle because they realize when I totally get on them about stuff, they're like, "Well, Dad, you're kind of a delinquent." <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell them too much. You have to be tr- right. truthful, but tr- selectively truthful. I think is is kind of the key. Sure. I'm getting to that point with mine too, and I don't <laughs> want to go down that road too much far. You know, right. You know, it's like you got to tell these cautionary tales like, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. I did this. And, and you're a respected person, Dad. Yeah, I am. <laughs> right. But see, that can, that can not always – you got to make it so that – because they're, they're, they, I'm thinking in the through the mind of a child, you know, right now. Is, well, Dad did. He smashed the back window of a car. He was punk rock skater, all this good – and now, look, he's a doctor. He's a very – I can do all that bad stuff and still end up good too. And where do you cross the line and say, well, you know, you could like me, but I don't want you to do that. So gosh, I know that's a, that's the the mystery of the ages is how do we keep our kids on a good course and not let them be as crazy as we were when we were kids? I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. Lucky enough that, you know, it wasn't like, you know, got busted and something bad would happen to us as teenagers are around and he's a young black teenager around and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, going into punk rock and, and thinking about treatment in the world of punk rock, you know, it's like <laughs> there's little things that you might get that you kind of just let roll off, you know, like a, you know, a, a duck would have water roll off its back. You know, the, the comments are people go, you like bad brains. Well, yeah, of course I like bad brains. It's not because I like better because there's something black guys. I like the bad brains. It's all right. You're like, you know, this band. More of a stereotypical kind of thing rather than yeah. like an outright, like, like a racist th- view. It's right. more of like they're right. stereotyping you. Sure. Yeah. It's the whole thing, you know, the whole hard time, you know, um, article regarding that. <laughs> punk rock. It's like, that's so prototypical of what it is. It's kind of funny. Um, but, you know, you go to shows and you look around the room and, and you realize that you're kind of navigating this whole area of what, you know, white space is kind of you know, it's not that, you know, you're, you're constantly in the world as an African-American, you're navigating white space. You're just always doing that. So yeah. you just get comfortable navigating white space because you say, you know, this is just space to me. I understand that's supposed to be a white space, but I don't have to let some limitations that are, you know, unsaid or an unwritten rule or something that doesn't really exist right. make it just to keep me from going forward. If I want to do this, I'm going to do that, right? Yeah. So, so run into a bunch of people that may not want you there. I mean, there's definitely during the 80s and 90s, just a, a bunch of straight up Nazis at shows, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, of course, there were times where you were like, well, this was going to be a fucking crazy show, and this might be really shitty. But you have, of course, allies and friends, because punk rock overall is pretty damn accepting, you know? It is, fucking, truly, yeah. Right? Like we're all just a bunch of freaks, and we all had that whole freak flag that we flew. So I, I, I think that you feel comfortable in that space because 
everybody else was comfortable in that space because the other spaces that we all walked in, nobody felt comfortable in. I, I think that you always had a level of acceptance in some sense that was there, but also knew that they were people. And you knew who they were because they all wore uniforms. They all wore some kind of thing. It was, it, it was almost like high school with the clicks of who was who. Was, who, was who. You know, sure. you, you tell who was a person who was going to be a detractor, but also you found people that were going to be complete allies that you didn't always expect. It's always been that way. I mean, you, you sometimes go to shows and you have to realize that there's going to be some shit going down. Playing in a band, you play some shows and you might have some shit happen, you know. Um, but back then, you were all so hyped up and, and wild and kind of crazy that, you know, you kind of were youthful and didn't think you were ever going to die, right? Sure. <laughs> That's life. Yep. Yep. Shit. I mean, like I said, I should be a better skater because of that, but I want it. <laughs> but you right. Know, Doing music, you know, more so, and going into places that wouldn't necessarily be navigated by by a face that looked like mine, because there weren't a lot of guys that looked like me in punk rock to begin with. Like I said, you right. start naming people off of your, you know, off your hand and say, "Well, there's the black guy from punk rock." You know, you see a guy at a show and you realize that we're both navigating that same space. But I never thought that music in any way was black or white. I mean, music's only black or white when it's on the page that you write it down on. If you're going to write music. But otherwise, it's just it's something that you experienced. You had some kind of commonality with what you were hearing. You felt something when you heard the songs. And punk rock moved me away, especially with my youthful anger, you know, right. at the time. That, that made me feel like I could release this and didn't feel like a, an outcast or a freak. And, you know, you go to the shows and everybody there was just like you, right? You know, it was, we were all in this together to enjoy the music and enjoy the energy and to run around in the pit and get rid of all of our pent up, you know, anger at whatever we were angry at at the time, you know, whether it was the, you know, a family situation or, you know, our, the way we were treated in school or the way you felt about yourself because you couldn't really be who you wanted to be, or at least you felt that way. But then you felt free enough to be who you wanted to be in that scene, in that space. Sure. Were there ever detractors in that space? There's attractors everywhere, man. <laughs> it, it, the reality is, you wake up every day and realize you're going to run into at least uh, you're going to run into some assholes. That's the reality of life. You're going to run into some assholes no matter what. Yeah. If you find it surprising that you do that, then you're the fool at that point. You know, you, right. you have to really realize that I'm going to run into these people and just go. That's one of those people and keep on going. You know, that's what you have to do. Black Lives Matter Chicago is an intersectional vehicle that values black people and their right to self-determination. They fight for justice with families most impacted while working to create just and equitable systems. They work to end state violence and criminalization of black communities by deconstructing white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. They are 100% volunteer run. Visit www.blacklivesmatterchicago.com for more info. If you'd like to donate to Black Lives Matter Chicago, visit the website and click on the Donate button on the left side of the screen. And from there are several options for making donations. Please consider doing so today.
what are your thoughts on maybe why there isn't more of a presence of people of color in punk rock, specifically, you know, like African-American people? It's an underrepresentation in a lot of ways. The, what, the reason I bring it up really is I challenged myself and I said, okay, the one episode I was doing about James Baldwin, I said, okay, I want to I wanna include bands that have members that are black or African-American specifically. Let me think about this without looking it up, without Googling it. And yeah. I really couldn't, it, without, Bad Brains couldn't be on that list either, by the way, or Ball Weevils, because you don't count. In, in, in a sense, you know, because you're, all, you're in the, a big space in my mind anyways. So yeah. I had a really hard time I had to Google it. I couldn't. I couldn't really do it. it. Do you have any thoughts on why there's not that many people of color or anything in involved in punk rock in some ways? Well, I think there are. It's just a matter of looking for those spaces, right? You know, so there's like black punk, you know, out there, and you know, like people were talking about. I, I hate to, you know, to even cause divisiveness, but. Everything can be divisive in some sense. I mean, you talk about Afropunk, and that's changed a lot from where it used to be to what it is now. Um, but there's definitely people that are out there. You know, nowadays, I think you're going to find it, it was harder back in the 80s and 90s in some sense because you, you don't have the ability to, I guess, walk into that space and feel comfortable in the beginning. Because you didn't find that there was a person that looked like you that was there all the time, you know. And then you get, you know, whatever media was being shown, you know, like the Chips episode where the punks on here, oh, right. and you go, right. God, no one that caused me to be afraid. So you're like, that's not for me because depictions in media were completely also false. Oh, but right, then you think, yeah. but then you think about, you know, look at, you know, the UK and you know, individuals involved in the scene because of the, some of the working class modes with it and some of the reggae ska portions that would come into like sort of oi, et cetera. You go, well, that's kind of prototypical things in punk rock and another kind of genre. And you had black people and, you know, people of color that were involved. So even thinking back to, you know, just, punk being a part of rock and roll, you know, we think about rock and roll's inception coming from, you know, black people making music. Right. Yeah. Um, that's where, where we sometimes forget all that because rock and roll got kind of usurped and then pat moonized into whatever it's going to yes. be. So big time. Right. Yes. It, yes. And people suddenly go, not for me. In the beginning, you know, it was harder to have people, seeing people that look like them in music because you didn't get exposed to it that much. But now you're going to find, you know, it's easier for people to find their niche because it's all over every media device. You can find it. You, you, the, the things that seem to be almost on the extremes, you know, outside of the typical, you know, lexicon of, of, of people having conversations become almost commonplace communities where you can find a place for whatever your fetish or non-fetish would be. You know, sure, in, sure, yes. Middle of, you know, Nebraska somewhere and find people all over the world that still have your same love for 
you know, watching the movie Candyman, you know, over and over again. So, right. it's, <laughs> so it, it's, that's where, you know, nowadays I think it would be easier to find more people of color, more people who are black, who are more women, you know, uh, more LGBTQ individuals involved in punk rock, you know, because once again, it was a place that was inviting to people that felt like they were marginalized, right? Right, you know, right. You had people that want to take their their hair and they would put it into Liberty Spikes and they would wear spiky jackets and tattoo themselves. And then suddenly it's like you stood out and you made yourself different. And you did that on purpose, kind of make it different. I remember, was it, did Lars say something once? about, you know, punk rock was his race. He said that one time. I, I, I got to laugh. But, but, but I understand in a way what was trying to be implied is that, you know, you're now standing for something. But the, the one thing I have to caution about that is that, well, you can cut your hair and decolor it. You can take off the uniform and then be whomever you were before. Right. Um, you know, being black or a woman or being, you know, LGBTQ, it's like you are that and that's always who you are. Right. So if you yes. were felt, you know, you know, marginalized in some sense or if somebody was trying to keep you as a marginalized, you know, individual, people try to exert that power if they can on you. I wouldn't let somebody exert that power on me. That's not the way it's gonna be because I, I feel powerful in my own way. But I understand where that comes from and how it can be used where people can make judgment calls before they even get to meet me as a person and try and say, you don't belong. You don't belong here. You leave. And I can try and stand up and say, I want to belong, but they could still ostracize me. And that happened for people throughout antiquity. You think back in the day when people want to move into a neighborhood, though, though the law says that a family can move from one neighborhood to the next. I mean, they can afford it. They move into a neighborhood, but then, you know, maybe the individuals who lived there before don't happen to like the new person again because they're black. And they make it really hard to stay there by having that group of individuals who live in the neighborhood start doing stupid shit to their house or harassing the children right. or slashing their tires and burning a cross, whatever the fuck they want to do. So you have to say, either we're going to put up with this bullshit or we're going to move. And there may be a few good people that are hanging out there that might be there, but they're not going to speak up because they're going to get beat down. See, so you, despite it being legal for you to live there, the unwritten rule is you can't fucking be there. So they, you got to go, no matter how strong your will is, right? right. Yeah. So you're not going to sit there and have your house burn the fuck down or have your child get beat up at school every day or whatever. But that people can make it uncomfortable for you. But, you know, the world of punk rock made it pretty comfortable for people to be who they wanted to be because everybody there felt like they were on the outskirts of society. Like an, out, an outcast in some way, shape, or form, you know. Exactly. exactly. So I, I guess going back to your original question, you know, I'm so long-winded about stuff, Bob, I apologize. Oh, you're great. Um, no, I appreciate it. I, I, love, I love it when you talk. You have a lot to say. I think it's wonderful, you know. It, it, it's a matter of, you know, I, there are times that, yeah, it was the, the most comfortable place I've ever been and some of the lifelong friends I've ever made have been from going to punk rock shows and being in a punk rock band. And, you know, because I think I can, you can say things to people, you can talk to people and everybody felt what it felt like to be in some way 
marginalized in some sense. So they could sometimes walk out of that situation, to be quite honest, but they at least had some semblance of they could empathize in some way, right? Sure, certainly, so yeah. That's the thing. That was good. But yes, would you run into people that would also not want you in that space? Yeah, of course. That just happens with any group dynamics, right? Sure. So, so you're dealing with groups, and, and groups are going to have a hierarchy that kind of falls out over time and norms that come with it, despite being some of the most open-minded norms in some sense, but still norms themselves, right? Yeah. Um, you'll find there's still bullshit that happens where, you know, there's not a lot of women involved, you know, and, and then you find the same macho, misogynist bullshit that can happen, you know, at the same time. Right, yeah. You know, it, it's, though it's a place that is pretty much open and always just felt like it's been a place to be a part of, if you felt like you were ever put on the outskirts of society, it still has bullshit that happens in it like any organization does too, you know, despite it being not so organized, right? Right, yeah, yeah. It does seem like maybe it is, especially the the longer it exists punk rock has has become even more inclusive year by year in some ways so i think what you said earlier really caught me where you said it's out there people are looking for it they'll find it if they need it or if they really want it and there we go and that's how i think we see more bands that have you know black people people of color women you know, people right. from the gay community, people from the trans community. It's it's definitely, right. and it, it somebody put it to me this way recently that I was talking to that they didn't necessarily want to hear from another band that was just for white dudes, right? And I go, yeah. and I and I heard that, and I go, okay, you know, I I kind of understand. And the reason she said that when she kind of really clarified it was, is that we haven't heard from. Everything that, you know, we haven't heard too much, I guess I should say, from other marginalized groups of people. And she said, I want to hear their voices. I want to hear what they have to say. And that was a big, like, whoa, like you blew, she blew my mind when she said that. And that was such a beautiful thing, you know. The thing about it is that I think that music is a way for anybody to express their voice. And I think that's the commonality of it all, is that music has a message behind it most of the time you know right and, and it's almost like it's it, its own language in some ways too its own kind of form of communication separate from speaking like you know yeah and, and it passes on it passes on stories it passes on you know wisdom it passes on you know feelings that people have had together and shared you know experiences that people have had so that's where people really fall in love with the music you know it could be you know punk rock it could be hip-hop it could be you know trance music it can be you know drum and bass it can be whatever it is that moves you to have some kind of emotional response because emotions are the first things that we have right and our responses are usually based upon base kind of feelings and needs that a human being wants we, we, we are you know brought up from babies and we understand by hearing the sounds sounds of our our people that care about us and the way that they speak right. to us. Right. Like evolutionary level stuff, basically. Yeah. 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 Deep seated evolutionary thing that we need and it helps us to feel things in a different way or experience things and realize that hey I can, you know, go back and experience something from the past based upon this music that I'm hearing and it helps me to understand 
what I'm dealing with right now because the situation seems similar to that situation before. Music in itself is, is just out there for people to experience. And, and there's all kinds of things you can find in all kinds of genres of music that can sometimes hit you in a way you go, wow, that really hits me in a way I've never experienced. And that's a cool song because I, I get an emotional response of vote for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so punk rock just happened to be that thing that hit me at the time when I was, you know, an adolescent growing up. And I go, this was my niche. This was my thing. This made me feel, you know, validated in some sense because, hey, they're singing about things that I'm feeling right now. It didn't matter if it was like, you know, four white guys up there because most of the time it was four white guys up there doing that. But right. that validated what I was thinking or what I felt at the time. And then I realized, hey, I could make my voice heard and have my experiences brought out in a way and say, this is what I'm, you know, going to talk about, you know? And, and so I, I, that's where I think many people can find their voice. You know, young African-American kids might find that, you know, they listen to hip hop. Hip hop's going to be the way they're going to express their needs, their way. You know? Sure. Because or, it maybe it spoke to them the same way punk rock spoke to you or like it does right. for any of us in, in some way. Sure. Right. Or somebody would hear somebody, they might hear a, a Thin Lizzy song and they go, I love the way this sounds. I love the way guitars being played. I want to play guitar. And they start playing that. Or they hear Prince and you go, wow, this guy's talented. I want to do. So and you can then, of course, get your message out by writing down how you feel and then putting it to music and then having other people hear that and go, thank you for giving me your message. I heard what you were saying at that point. Yeah. <laughs> or they might have something totally different out of music because everybody's going to interpret it differently. So they ask the, you know, the composer and they say, what did you mean by this? And it's like, I meant that this was all about pie. I want to eat, you know, cherry pie. And <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> and meanwhile, you thought it was about like, it sounds like they're talking about the creation of the universe. No, I was, I was thinking about the apple pie I was going to eat later on then. <laughs> when I wrote that, yeah. <laughs> Completely about when I went to Applebee's that one day. <laughs> right. There you go. Something so mundane. Right. But it was important to him at the point that he did that thing. So <laughs> the point is, really the way I felt this melancholy feeling going there. And I just realized I really didn't want that. I wanted to go to another place. I wanted to go to, you know, okay. <laughs> right. The last couple of questions I have the doctor, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Wilson, what made you decide? Or was there a point in your life where you're like, you know what, I, I would like to be a doctor. That's kind of the career path or the path of my life outside of being in a band and singing and, you know, doing your thing, becoming a doctor is something, when did you kind of decide that was something that you'd like to do? Uh, when I was seven years old. No kidding. <laughs> Real, from, from a very young age, you had that kind of that, was that a goal that was with you from then on yeah. kind of thing? Pretty much. I mean, after I, you know, kind of pushed out wanting to be evil can evil at the time. Um, <laughs> right. Yes. You know, thought about being a, you know, marine biologist or, you know, a geologist. All these things I thought about doing. That, something scientific. Um, you know, my my pediatrician when I was a kid was really really cool, and I remember feeling so confident in his skills. And the way that he treated people was just amazing, at least in my seven-year-old mind. And I remember then my my grandfather uh, had been diagnosed with cancer and he died. 
And I remember visiting him in the hospital before he died. In the hospital, just a cold and lifeless, soulless place. And I just could feel that the way he was being treated was so not the way that any human being should be treated. And I was determined at that point to become a physician to make sure that that never happened. I remember my dad was so distraught when, you know, dad died, you know, my grandmother died. And um, that kind of pushed me on that road to want to be a doctor. I would say that. And then my grandmother, as I got older, I was a teenager, uh, probably, yeah, I was 17, 17 at the time, uh, 16, 17. And she was diagnosed with cancer and my dad's mom. And she, you know, talked to me on the phone. I was talking to her. We we're going to go visit her out in Arizona. Um, she was pretty sick. And she said something to me about my manner speaking to her that my bedside manner was really great. And I'd be like a great doctor because my bedside manner was just going to be so good. Oh, wow. And literally 24 hours later, she was dead. We didn't get a chance. To oh, hear. my gosh. So those were like the last words she said to me. And so I, I was really determined at that point I'm going to be a physician. This is the way it's going to work. But I didn't have, you know, a lot of, you know, people that I, I knew that were physicians. I didn't. I really didn't know anybody. And then I sure. both PhDs. So they were both, you know, highly educated individuals. I knew education was a way to get it. I knew how to kind of navigate it by looking things up. But I didn't have other role models to look to. And while I was in organic chemistry in college, I was, you know, my sophomore year, I was told, hey, why don't you go do this Robert Wood Johnson program thing in the city of Chicago where they have take, you know, students who get to go on this, like, practicum thing. And so I was still going to be a physician. I knew that. And then I got to actually follow physicians who were all black physicians uh, who were working in the city of Chicago. And I really had my eyes open to saying, oh, I, can, I can really do this. I know I can. Because the IT physicians in there are me who are working. And that is a kind of a good thing to see. I, mean, I had other mentors that were there. My college professors were mentors. But to see people that looked like me doing it made me actually have a uh, kind of a rocket boost to shoot myself up to the, to the sky and say, I can, I can really achieve it. Wow, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I always knew I could, but it made it even more, you know, like concrete. Tangible. So, I mean, it's something, yeah, you're like, hey, this is, yeah, sure. And so, you know, so I, I, I went on and, you know, kept pursuing this dream of being a physician. And, and it was always there. And that was like my first real, you know, dream, dream, you know, like I said, besides being, you know, a, a stuntman, <laughs> being evil, um, that I, I wanted to do since I was a, a seven-year-old. That's amazing. So wow. I've kept that goal in mind forever, and it's become fruition. It, it, it does really kind of play to the idea that if you really, really put your mind to something and you work towards that goal, that goal will be achieved. Now, you can do it. Yeah. Quickly, but you have to then truly concentrate on reaching that goal. And you have to sometimes make decisions about, do I go through this obstacle? Do I go over the obstacle? Do I go under the obstacle? Does the obstacle stop me? And that's your choice you have to make sometimes. You have these forks in the road that say, 
this is going to be a tough road. You really want to take it. You could easily go this way and just tap out. But it's like, now I can do this. You know, I'm going to keep going down this road and you keep going, you keep going. You battle through stuff and you realize that it's just a matter of your, your being tempered. You know, it's like you're, you're taking that hot piece of steel and you're, you know, banging on the molten metal until it becomes tempered and, and hardened and then you become this honed, you know, shining sword and you cut through all the bullshit and make it in the end. So yeah, the journey is a part of it. And, and you look back and go, that was freaking amazing. And you can pass that story on to other people to be a mentor for them, which I, which I do. But, you know, it, it shows that everything's achievable. It's just a matter of how much you have you want to put in to make that goal a reality. And what you're willing to sacrifice. It's not like it's all just, you know, roses and candy. It, it's sacrifice. And you have to be willing to sacrifice. A lot of it's your time that you put into it. And I had to make those sacrifices. I mean, the whole thing of medicine was a big thing that helped, that broke the band up the first time, you know, because it was, you know, hey, you're, you're, I had to go start my residency in the middle of us being on a tour. Right. And I couldn't say, hey, you know, I'm playing in the bowls right now. I can't make it to my first day when I'm on call in the ICU as an intern. It's like, no, man, this is what I've been working towards all this time. And, that's where decisions get made of whether or not you try to pursue, you know, punk rock superstar. And I say that with a tongue planted firmly in cheek sure. versus going on to becoming a physician and, you know, doing that as my profession. So, yeah, I, I had to make these decisions of where I was going to go. You know, we, we didn't tour Japan because of me in medical school. You know, opportunities to do that in Europe earlier on. And it's like, couldn't do it because I couldn't do it. And that definitely rubbed, you know, members of the band the wrong way, you know, because I, I was the rate limiting step, you know, in that whole reaction. But, you know, it, it all works out in the end. We were, we're still playing now as a band, you know, we have opportunities to do that now. But it's just like those, those years of formation where we could have ended up being, <laughs> who knows where you'd end up, you know, make sacrifices on certain things to, to get to your goal. And, you know, I, I am, I love being a physician. I, it's, it's what I wanted to be since I was a little kid. Before I wanted to be a punk rock guy, you know, I was, well, I was a doctor. So that was always first. And so that had to be put in the forefront and it was, and it paid off. You know, it, it's, it's gotten me the, the life that I lead, you know, it's helped made me help out a multitude of human beings on this planet. You know, I've done a lot of good things. For people right and, yeah I mean, regardless of music music done a lot of good things for people too i i admit that but you know i definitely save more lives doing what i really do saving lives versus my punk rock saving lives you know it all comes together and makes me me you know it makes me the unique you know player in this game you know it's it, it, you talk about the uniqueness of being you know a black guy in punk rock right that in itself puts you in a very rarefied air, but then you go black position in punk rock. I right. think I'm the only one. Very unique. So, That's a very unique pos- uh, position that you're in. You know. So I'm like Highlander. So right there, you know. <laughs> there just, you go. It's a power. It's a very powerful position. I think in a lot of ways, you know. One thing, the video that you put out on your Facebook page recently, where you're speaking to other doctors and other healthcare providers, that was at your, the hospital that you work at? Yes. 
or that do you call it when you're a doctor in a hospital that you have a residency there? Is that the correct way of saying it? Oh, that residency is when you're training. So, okay, okay, uh, okay. So when you're when you're done, you become an attending physician. So I'm an attending physician. Attending and, physician. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, good deal. And, and then the hospital I work at is not a teaching hospital, so we're all just attending physicians. We're all you know, all practicing there. All in my ER group. You know, we're all you know board certified attending physicians at our hospital. That's what we're at. But yeah, this is this is a um, event that was you know white coats for black lives event that uh, many hospitals undertook. Uh, across the nation, and we were all there kneeling in the hot sun for nine minutes. And afterwards, we all got up, and I, you know, it was really a, a bit of a moment of silence that was there. It was this big, awkward silence. I'd been talking to one of my colleagues earlier in the day on the phone prior to going to the event, just about things in general, and you know, whether I would say something or not. And she looked at me and I'm like, definitely I got to say something. So I started saying something and I just spoke from the heart, spoke from, you know, my experience. I think many people had never, ever had that in their, on their radar at all. You know, it's the things that are said, like my mom and I were talking about this today, that, you know, the idea that sometimes people will look at you and sometimes people say things like, I don't see color. I don't see that. And it's like, no, I want you to see color because I, I am a black man. And when when you say that, that you don't see color, what you're sometimes saying is that you don't see a person as black because when you see a black person, you suddenly fall into the uh, tropes of the inherent biases that fall along with that. Right. Um, you know, and so you suddenly say, I don't see you as black. Why don't you see me as black? Is, is there some connotation associated with that that seems to be bad? That's negative. And, and, Are you viewing, the, does that mean that, I, that I'm not, well, you don't see me as black or that's, you're just saying, I don't see you as one of those, the, the bad people kind of thing. Right, exactly. That That's the point. So that's, that's where you have to then start saying, no, see me as black because there's no, you know, homogenous, you know, pool that's out there. You know, we're all different human beings. We all have different experiences. And you have to then accept that you're speaking to just another human being who is black. And the experience of who I am isn't defined by what you define, what you're defining in your brain as black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so so you have to then start redefining that and say, oh, just because you describe me with I me having more melanin than you, you know, which doesn't make me genetically any different than you. You now have to look at me and say, well, he's a doctor. You know, that's what you should be able to say. And realize that when you're talking to another person who has to be black, that they could be a doctor as well. They right. could be a lawyer. Yes. They could be an architect. They could be, you know, a homemaker. They could be a punk rock star. They could be all these things. Anything. And a part of my whole idea of my visage too, having dreadlocks and being this guy that you see, is that people have to then suddenly start making different value judgments by, by yeah. what their sight shows them. You know, if, if I'm I'm that guy who's a well respected, you know, physician who's a smart dude who has dreadlocks who's six foot, you know, four and a half, two hundred and twenty, two hundred and nineteen pounds, who 
walks into the room, tell you what's going down. But also, if you look, you Google me, I play in a punk rock band too. It's like, whoa. It's like all those things they have to start suddenly trying to process this. And they can't get that just by looking at me. They have to then see me in my garb as a physician. And then they look me up and then they go, wow, this is amazing. But okay, why is it amazing? Because you never expected that? Well, look at other people. You might see something interesting about them that you never expected either. But don't stop the judgment based upon your stereotype or based upon your inherent bias that says this is what black means because it doesn't mean what you think it means. And and that's why you have to see my colors. You recognize that what you think is black is me. What you think is black is one of my other friends who's, you know, uh, a mathematician. What you see as black, my other physician's friends who are, are black. What you see as black is this. And in fact, take it out of being just the color. Just talk about me being an African American, you know, and then take it from that standpoint and, and grow from there and realize that when you think of African Americans, you think of physician, you think of architect, you think of lawyer like my brother, you think of, you know, all these different things that everybody can be. Because yeah. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> that's the point. We're just like you, so th- that's the thing. So, so not seeing my color doesn't do me any justice. In fact, it, it's an injustice to say that to me because you know you're you're basically saying that when you see black people, you see something bad. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. Or it, it's it's almost like well, he's a doctor. He's the singer in a punk rock band that's been around for years and years. And it's like, in spite of him being black in a, in a, in a way, like, right. That, it's right. It's a, it's a, such it's a, like, and that's a right, view that I don't ever have to have, you know? And that's, yeah. that's where privilege comes in on my end is nobody's ever going to doubt that I could be a punk, a guy in a punk rock band. And also, right. uh, I could be the mayor of the town that I live in. But would they look at at like you and also say that same thing? And no, and that's where the problem is. That's where such a huge part of the problem is in my mind. Yeah, it's just it's the idea that suddenly I speak and somebody goes, "You're so articulate." Like, why would I be articulate? Like, what? what, Why is that a surprise to you? Like, why is that a shock? That shouldn't be shocking. What were you expecting? What were you expecting? Actually, when you think about it now, most human beings are not that articulate. So sadly, so sadly, that's a very true thing. So sad. Sad but true that most individuals are pretty daft. And you're like, whoa, your language skills are pretty poor. <laughs> oh, right. Can we even communicate in this? It's like you want to start talking like Chris Tucker. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You know, like, <laughs> right. So... <laughs> Anything you'd like to say? I mean, it. like I kind of said, one of the reasons why I've been doing things like this is to kind of spread the word to my listeners and, or, you know, my, just whatever, to anybody who could be listening. Like, yeah. what's, what's a good way for white folks to help fight racism, to help break down the barriers where people wouldn't see you and not think you weren't a doctor, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, the first barrier that anybody has is a barrier that's in them, within themselves. Within and that's themselves. the first thing you have to self, do self-introspection. Take a look at yourself and realize where inherent bias comes into play. You know, 
walk in black space, you know, those types of things, you know, that's where people can make a difference. I mean, hearing someone is great and that, that's one thing, but then, you know, speaking the truth about things, understanding when things are false, speaking the truth that's within yourself to understand where things are and, and, and not feeling like this is something where, where you have to have shame regarding it. Not here to shame you, you know, that, that's not the point. Everybody's got to grow and you have to understand where your deficiencies are that inhibit your growth and then try to work on those things. So if the person's working out and they're trying to gain more muscle mass or to lose weight or to gain more cardiovascular strength, you know, you're going to reach points where you plateau and you have to start really digging deep to find out how can I get over this hump? So you have to sometimes go within yourself and realize that it's just a little block you have to really push beyond because you really can. It might be painful to do it at first, okay? But once you get past that point, you start to grow. But it's a constant thing. It's not something where you just go, I've grown and I'm not going to grow anymore. And I fixed it. I fixed whatever issue it was I was trying to grow past in a way. You learn from that and you find that there are other things you have to look at after. Sure. You find there are facets to that, you know, stone you're looking at. You turn around and go, wow, there's more facets on this thing. So you have to first, with any kind of wall, first figure out where that wall is. And the initial wall is inside of everybody. We all have our own inherent biases that start questioning some stuff that's been presented to you. Start researching things and go, holy shit, I got some fucking problems here. Maybe I could fix my fucking problems. If I can start fixing my problems, then start stepping out and maybe showing other people how I fix my problem and we can go from there. One route to to get there, you know. I used the example the other day of, you know, a house was flooding because a pipe is broken. And, you know, you can have multiple ways to fix that leak. Right, you could patch it. You could take the pipe out and put a new pipe in. You can do all kinds of things to fix it. But you realize that you don't want your house to flood, so you want to fix it somehow. So you got to get there. You know, some things might be a little longer route. You patch a little bit, it might leak a little bit. You got to then do something else to replace it. Well, boom, maybe you got something else. But then you realize that all the pipes need to be replaced because they're all old lead pipes, and you're getting lead poisoning in your house. Right. You got to all these things that might open up new doors and you can't be afraid to open up those new doors. Okay. That's the person you can't be, you can't be afraid. That's the thing. You can be scared. Being scared of something usually is, is you can turn on the light and you're not scared anymore because you realize the dark doesn't have anything hidden in it. Right. But if you're afraid, you do irrational things when you're afraid. Fear like that gets deep-seated and suddenly you're not willing to change because you're afraid. You have fear of losing something, like fear of death, fear of all these things. That, But then again, if you have faith in something, you, you shouldn't really have that fear, right? But people do. So going inside of yourself, figuring out where your idiosyncrasies are, not having fear of doing that, because you're going to find some things you don't like, you know, but don't be afraid be scared but then you can realize i can fix that you can fix it so it all starts with individuals trying to make changes first and then stepping outside there's global stuff that needs to change in some ways you have to look at you know fighting a war on poverty you know you have to because that's the the base thing is is 
impoverished people get stuck finding ways to just survive and not live. So yeah. that that's where you have to really start looking at what we as a society are really looking at doing. Are the basic tenets of our social contract have to be knitted back together because they're not being upheld. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So people have to really be, you know, once again, introspective to figure out where they they lie in spots and say, I need to fix these spots on my lungs, these spots in my heart, and then moving on from there. Fix yourself or begin that process of looking at yourself and kind of go from there and go from there. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's the biggest thing. Because, you know, if you're going to try and do it yourself, you might get overwhelmed, ask for help. Oh, that's great. Ask for help. You start talking to other people. I mean, think people think about this. It's like, how many deep conversations do people have with people that have different experiences from them? It's easier to talk to people that have the same experiences. Right. Sure, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Easier, but not not nearly as rewarding. That's a thing, I think. You no. know. And that's what the people are sometimes afraid. They're going to find something that they're they're afraid of it. And you shouldn't be afraid. No. You might be scared. Dive in, you know. Swim in the water. It's not full of sharks. And even then, sharks don't care about you. They really don't. Right. So right. They, only, they only bite you if they think you're a seal, you know, so. <laughs> like, oh, it tastes that good. You're not a seal. I'm out of here. <laughs> right, so, right. You know, that's what we have to do. Is conversations are, are great, but then that can lead to action afterwards. But the first action that people have to do is how do you change yourself? How do you change yourself? And don't look at it that, hey, all the years that you had before meant nothing. No, you've come to this point. It's still growth. There's still opportunities to lose life out of you. How do you make that change now? How do you start making that change? Because it's going to be writing a ship that's been moving with momentum for a long period of time. Starts with each individual. We all start kind of turning the ship together. We can actually make a turn. We can steer it and and point it in the direction it needs to be going. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Drops of water help to erode and make the Grand Canyon. That's right. That's right. Takes continued drip, break down stone. All right, Daryl. Well, thank you so much for talking to me tonight, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, that was a fantastic conversation, I think. All right, there. All right, good night. Well, there you go. I hope you heard something that taught you something new or you learned something from this episode like I did. I really do. I hope you'll take Daryl's words to heart. Look inward. That's where we start. Let's do it. Let's fix this shit. I know we can. We can and racism. We can kill that shit. Racism doesn't have to have any part in our hearts, in our minds, or in our society. The end. That's it. Well, thank you so, so much to Dr. Daryl Wilson for taking the time to talk to me. I love you, man. You're an awesome dude. You truly are an incredible person and an inspiration. Also, thank you so much to Daryl and the Bull Weevils for letting me play these super rad songs. I love the Bull Weevils. They're fun. They're amazing. They're a rad, rad band. Uh, look for a Bull Weevils episode coming out very soon, too. Hopefully, more or less the entire band. We'll see how it goes. But Daryl and a couple of the other members I should be talking to very soon. Check out and donate to the Chicago Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression and also Black Lives Matter Chicago if you can. They and I would appreciate it. Lastly, 
as I always say, thank you for listening. I do appreciate you very, very much. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Here are the Bull Weevils with the song Wrong from Right.